Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer. Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I am extremely excited to share this the 200th episode of the Peak Mind podcast. I was just on a walk with a friend on the beach here in Venice, California. And she had been kind of watching um, my contents. And she is a trained as a therapist, but has been going through some deep personal work of late, as have I. And we took a very long walk with the dogs. And about two hours in, we sat down in front of the, the mighty blue Pacific Ocean. And she shared with me her awakening process. And she shared a bit about her fear as it relates to her identity. And it was something I deeply resonated with. And I think many of you who are listening, watching, likely identify with too. And that is many of us are born in this world with a certain notion of who we are. And yet we grow into a culture, a society that shapes us into who they want us to be or who we believe they want us to be. And I think a lot of life is that dynamic tension between what wants to truly emerge from us, if you will, our unique song. And the frequency that our culture or society wants us to resonate with. And our frequency may not be totally in alignment with what society wants us to be. And so I think a lot of us live in this challenge of how do we share our unique song, our unique expression? How do we shed those aspects of ourself that aren't truly us? If you will, how do we, in the song of our lives, eliminate the notes that are not our unique expression? Uh, W.C., and I think it's been attributed to Miles Davis, said something quite beautiful. He said that music is what lives in the space between the notes. How do we live such that our listening allows us to tap into that space between the notes? In essence, how do we sing and express our unique song, the music that wants to live through us? And I challenge this friend to take the first step. I think many of us get caught in this notion of how it needs to be many miles down the road. And so we never take that first step. And I did a beautiful podcast, one of the 200 in lead up to this episode with a man named Boyd Vardy. And he comes from uh, a history of of lion trackers with the Shongan people in South Africa. Uh, 
And he said, when tracking the lion, everyone gets obsessed about the lion, where they think it is. He said, but, but the trick is actually not in trying to determine exactly where the lion is. The trick is to find the first right track. And from that right track, to observe and find the next right track. And so it's about that incremental process of finding the first right track, and then from there, the next, and then the next. And I think exponential growth is that. It's the it's the mundane process of listening to what wants to emerge from us in each moment, each day of our lives, and stacking those those days one in front of the other, getting a little bit better. In not in the notion of what society says is better, but in our own notion of what authentic aspects of ourself yearn to be expressed. And for me, as I reflect back over the course of this journey with podcasting, I want to share something that is hopefully of service, which is that I started recording this podcast in 2014. It took me till 2019, five years later, to publish the first episode because I had all these fears around what society would think, what my family would think. And I don't know if you can relate, but I think many of us get trapped in this notion, these artificial uh, bindings that, that hold us back. There's a famous story of an elephant that's been bound by a string from its from its youth and as a huge elephant it still doesn't move from the confines it's grown accustomed to even though it could easily break that string because its mind has been conditioned and the number one regret of the dying is that they never took a shot at living life on their own terms and if there's one thing this podcast has taught me It's that we all have our own unique song. And it's, I think, the gift of this life to sing it imperfectly and to discover through that imperfection the beauty of those unique notes that want to live through us. And for me, the catalyst to finally singing my song came in going to a Fleetwood Mac concert. And I went to this concert. I took myself on a date to see Fleetwood Mac, a band I love. And they did a tribute to Tom Petty, who had just passed. And Tom Petty was one of my favorite musicians. And I had an opportunity to go see him that year. But I decided, you know what? I'm feeling feeling tired today. I'll catch him next year. And of course... There was no next year. He passed. And as I watched this tribute to this man who was very clearly in his own song, who was very clearly singing beautifully that which wanted to live through him, I decided in that moment that I was going to sing my unique song. And it didn't matter if two people showed up. Thankfully, way more did. But 
I was going to sing it for the process of what would emerge through me because I didn't want to die with my song still inside me. And if you're listening or watching this, I hope that you take this as an opportunity to take your next right step. And oftentimes we don't even know where the destination is. We don't even know what we're, where we're going. But we know that our heart yearns for something more, the more that wants to live through us. And it's our fears, it's our ego that checks us. And so in my conversation with this friend, she said, you know, my fear is that, you know, I'll lose, what will my family think? Maybe I'll lose certain friends. They'll think, you know, I've lost the map. And it was the very thing that I had thought. You know, I went from uh, launching Global Citizen Festival and hosting Beyonce and Coldplay and all these folks on stage in front of 70,000 people. And it was something I was deeply proud of. But I thought to myself, I can't go to recording a podcast, some guy in his living room, um, you know, just, you know, (laughs) inviting people to have a conversation. It felt like a huge step down in my career. And yet I can say now, four years later from my actual publishing dates, that it's been a total revelation. My life has changed in so many ways as a result of following that, that heart's yearning. And I've learned so much about myself. And I've learned so much from my guests. And I've built such incredible relationships. And my last episode I published was with a shaman. And, you know, my, my Columbia University, New York, suit-wearing, you know, speak at corporations in the United Nations thought to myself, man, I, I don't know. Some of those people from, from college might think I, I've lost the map. And then I thought, you know what? It doesn't matter because this is what's true to me. And I think this is what's of service to those with whom my music is meant to resonate. And if I lose certain people because of their judgments, then those weren't my people anyway. And so when my friend asked me this question, I said, you know what? Real talk, keeping it in New York, you might lose some people, you know, but those weren't your people anyway. And the fact of the matter is, I wouldn't be sitting with you right now if you hadn't reached out to me because of the thing I was afraid to post. And so therein lies the irony, the, the paradox. It's, it, it, the rub is, it's actually in stepping into that fear and, and, and potentially that thing that may estrange some of those people you think will judge you, that we actually meet the people that are meant for us the people who are in our symphony of life and who listen to and are are seeking, are yearning for that unique note to add to their own symphony in life. And she shared with, with me something, and, and I said and declared, because I believe in declarative commitment, that I would share something in this podcast that I've been, even amidst now my 200th episode, afraid to share myself. And that is a little over a month ago, I had an experience that would be called a kundalini awakening. And when I have 
heard other people mention that. Oftentimes, I had a reaction. My New York scientific mind was like, you know, depending on who it was, but especially if they led with it, if it was something they wore as a badge of honor, my, my kind of bullshit meter would come up. And so in sharing this, I recognize some people might, might, might have that same um, skepticism. But I can only share what was true for me. And this awakening is still something that is unfolding. But it was an absolutely profound experience. And I share that, well, I'll share a bit of context. So I was actually here in this, my living room, and I started to have this deep otherworldly experience, which at first made me actually very nervous. I called my, my uh, somatic therapist because I didn't know who else to call at the time. And I said, I know this is going to sound out there. Uh, excuse me for you know interrupting you. I know we're not scheduled at the moment, but I didn't know who to call. I'm freaking out. I feel like I feel like I'm on the deepest dose of uh, DMT, and yet I haven't consumed anything. Like I've had I had a smoothie, um, and yet I don't think I can drive. Uh, I, I don't know if I need to go to the hospital. I don't know what's going on, and actually I was quite nervous. And in about 15 minutes of speaking with him, I was actually sitting in this exact spot. And he said to me, have you thought about a kundalini awakening? And in that moment, something just clicked. And I said, thank you. I'll call you if I need you. I hung up the phone. And I went to my altar. And it's strange, but I knew exactly what to do. And... I went into a profound, otherworldly medicine journey, unaided by any substance of any kind, not prompted by meditation, breath work, or any other catalyst for an altered state of consciousness. Yet I did some of the deepest work of my life, forgiveness work, work around death and reconciliation, um, deep work calling in my, my future partner, uh, my future children. I had visions, and it's something I'm still integrating, but it was such a profound and beautiful gift. And I've had the honor to do some incredibly deep medicine work with some very rare and extraordinary elders. And I've known for some time that the doors that have opened for me are not necessarily easily accessible to many people. And I don't say that in any egoic way. I just say that as... I've in following the trail of my own life, I recognize that I have had access to extraordinary individuals 
for example, when I was 19, I was on the southern coast of Sri Lanka in a country amidst civil war and wound up <laughs> a young young man came out of the ocean in front of me with a spear and a tiger, literally an octopus that looked like a tiger. I've never seen anything like it. And goggles. And he handed me these goggles. I'd been living in the country at that point for about five, six months. It was my first trip to the ocean. I was living in the hills in Candy. And I spoke a bit of Singala. And he invited me to swim out to this island. And I swam out to this island. And I was with my professor at the time and a group of, of students. And they took the boat out. And we met on this island. And there I saw one of the most extraordinary things I've seen in my life, which was... Again, in a country amidst civil war, a Tamil woman in a Sinhalese Buddhist temple, entranced, speaking classical Sinhalese. And speaking a language, it would be like if I all of a sudden started to speak classical Greek or some language I should have no knowledge of. Yet she had somehow tapped into the collective consciousness, her own extraordinary gifts to this day I couldn't explain to you how it happened but I witnessed living magic and I witnessed what is possible within all of us when the right alchemy is present and that day I was invited by a seventh generation healer to study it was a tradition passed down from father to son for seven generations, and he didn't have a son. And he invited me to study his traditional ways, which at the time I had no idea, but it was a very rare form of Ayurvedic shamanism. And I was introduced to these community rituals that were so extraordinary. They would spend weeks building these elaborate palm fraud cities. And when someone was out of balance or in dis-ease, they were placed in the middle of a circle around which the entire village would orchestrate this incredible uh, retelling of their shared cosmological worldview from sunset to sunrise around these beautiful flower-laden altars. And fire dancers would spin and become entranced. And the... The exactness of the ritual I would come to understand was a profound science involving everything from the astrological bodies to mass carving to drumming to dancing. And all those elements were integral to what my teacher held as living wisdom, as a kapu mahatya, a, a traditional healer, an astrologer, a master dancer, a master drummer. Not master in the way that we in the West think of a master, but more aspects of tools in his tool belt that he needed to help hold the space for people to come back into balance. Because traditionally in this worldview, there was no word for privacy. There was no word for possession. It was, I am you, you are me, we are integral to the whole. And therefore, when one of us is out of balance, it's the role of all others to bring back that balance to help us remember our song. And so I'm not sure exactly what my dharma in this life is, uh, 
but I've been given breadcrumbs along the way. And I'll share more of these stories in the episodes to come. But I believe that part of that purpose is to help people remember their song and to start to sing my own song in a way that is more radically expressed, in a way that is both humble but also declarative. What I've learned in some of my work in ceremony is that there's a difference between someone who is singing their song because they want you to see them sing beautifully and someone who is singing their song because they want to lift the collective. And I have been graced by the presence of the latter. I have heard the songs of those who sing beautifully, not because they want to be seen or heard, but because their song carries a resonance that people can be warmed by. They sing to the fire in which people can put their their logs, their grief, their miseries, the things that no longer serve them, and in which that song can find collective resonance, a place in which people can be warmed by. And my intention moving forward with this platform is to share more stories with people of that nature, people whose songs are meant to lift the collective and indeed to to be a bridge uh, between these different worlds. It's a song that's very much still in process. And I oftentimes hesitate to share things when they're in process. But I believe we're all inspired by people who share things that are authentic to them, especially when they're vulnerable and it resonates with a struggle that they're going through. And so this conversation with this friend I just left, uh, I committed. I, she committed to, to take a step in singing her song, and I committed to, to sharing what I'm sharing right now. And I think that's the way we help each other walk beautifully and sing beautifully is to step vulnerably that next right step for us without necessarily knowing exactly where the destination will lead us, but to take courageous action, you know, to, to practice our inner bravery, um, I'll share something else that's that's quite vulnerable. Yesterday, a, a dear friend who I have nothing but the fondest respect for uh, announced that she was pregnant. And I was both profoundly grateful and happy for her. And also, there was a tinge of sadness. And the sadness was because I had always held a little bit of a flame for her. But I never had the courage to let her know. And of course, I'm absolutely elated. I I believe that everything that is meant for us will find us. And that which is not meant for us was never ours. But it was a beautiful lesson because I thought to myself, you know, I know that my partner is out there. 
But there was a time where I thought she could be that partner. And while I'm absolutely happy for the journey she is on, there is a piece of me that was reminded of what's at stake when we don't stand bravely and vulnerably in our truth. And it was just a reminder for me of the power of without attachment to results, standing bravely in intention and and action and sharing our truth and doing so gracefully, not, not to disrupt someone else's life, not to impose upon them our will, but to take a chance at what our song may evoke in them. And to know if it doesn't evoke anything in them, that that's beautiful, you know? I think knowing what is ours and what is not ours, what is ours to take on, what is ours to carry, what is ours to, to walk with, and what is ours to let go of, these are beautiful reckonings that we have, I think, when we stand in bravery. And when we stand in beauty. And this is a process that is uh, ongoing for me. But I want to thank you for being part of this journey. Because your feedback, your listening, your graceful encouragement has inspired me in my own bravery and I feel like I'm just getting started and that's a beautiful feeling you know this this woman I was just with said you know you're you're a great listener and that was one of the best compliments I could receive because you know if someone asks me what I do I don't necessarily think that I identify with a particular thing that I do. But I would say that I'm curious. And if someone could acknowledge that curiosity in a way that recognizes especially my, my listening, it's, it's truly an honor because I, I really believe that the fountain of youth lies in our curiosity. And the more that we step into that authentic curiosity, the more life reveals itself to us, the more that we are presented with unique opportunities, and the more that we find our people. Because what I've found in these small steps in the context of this podcast, you know, four years, 200 steps later, I've discovered incredible allies on my path. I've built profound relationships with many of the guests that have shared conversation with me. And the listeners and viewers that have shared time with me. And I've realized that in the symphony of that collective, there's an alchemy. 
that unlocks something that is more within me. Just like that woman that I had witnessed entranced and some of the other extraordinary experiences that you can't really describe with the Western mind, which I think we are afraid of, right? That, that is what our culture is afraid of. I think when people are radically expressed, it oftentimes disrupts the status quo. And that can evoke a fear. But it can also inspire the others who are on their own journey and see your torch, you know? They're on the trail and it's dark. They don't necessarily know where to go, but there's a light. And they can, they, can, they, can, they can guide themselves by their own inner light, but they can also know where their, their allies stand. And so I know I'm sharing a lot of stories and, and playing with a lot of metaphors, but hopefully you're, you're finding resonance with some of, some of what I'm sharing. You know, I, I basically want to encourage you to, to take a shot at the thing that scares you. And take that first step or that next step on the journey that your heart yearns for. You know, I think for many years, I lived so much in my head. And I think many of us do. But that we deny the intelligence of our heart and our gut. And I think there's nothing more powerful than when our gut, our heart, and our head are aligned on a path into the courageous unknown. And so I hope that this is a a clarion call for those listening to follow that charm. I'm wearing this hat, which I recognize is another thing that I probably wouldn't have done in years past. But when I was a little boy, in my bedroom, it was a very small bedroom. I grew up in the city of Chicago, and I always was, I've always felt nature was church. I've always felt the sacred in nature. And I had a tree that was outside my window. And when I would daydream as a, as a little boy, I had these tiny stickers on my window that were rainbow decals. And I would look through these rainbows at the tree, and they would inspire my imagination. And I posted something today that resonated with a lot of people. It said something to the effect of, whatever you do today, do it as a four-year-old wearing a Batman t-shirt would do it. And I think... My four-year-old in the Batman teacher t-shirt looking out the window at the rainbow is inspired by a world of imagination and possibility. And I know that all of us have that imagination. And yet we slowly condition it outside of ourselves. And it doesn't matter what phase of life you are in. I think that curiosity, that imagination, it's the muse. You know, Stephen Pressfield, another incredible guest I've had on this show, talks about the muse and creativity and how the muse, the gods, the goddesses, 
they want to live through you. They, our creativity, I think one of the greatest liberators is when we remove the notion of creativity being something that's ours and instead see ourselves as vessels where creativity wants to move through us. And Elizabeth Gilbert, another amazing person who I, I, I respect tremendously, wrote a book called Big Magic, and she talks about this. She wrote the book Eat, Pray, Love, many people read. She talks about, you know, after a success like that, and this is how I felt after Global Citizen, it's like you probably created something that will never, in societal terms, be bigger. So a lot of artists, like musical artists, have a, if they have a huge freshman album, never create a sophomore album because it won't be big enough or won't be as good as that previous effort. And I think when we recognize that that was never ours in the first place, we were just a vessel if we were lucky enough to be a part of it, to see it come to life. And it's not, success isn't about bigness. It's not about the numeric accumulation of anything, followers, wealth, what have you. It's about how bravely we dare to live. And with good grace, the people we get to share that journey and experience with. And if we're fortunate enough to let the muse move through us, then that creative act invokes worlds of possibility beyond even our our imagination. And so I encourage you listening to tap back into that inner muse, that, that imagination, and to surrender for a moment the, the inner judge, the inner judgments, the, the social conditioning, the, the thought that you have to have a certain thing to be happy. There is no end. There is no finish line. There is no, if I have X, I'll be happy. What I have realized in, in my listening is that it's who we're being that attracts everything in our life. You know, it's, it's not, it's not have, and I'll, if I have, I'll be happy. It's who we're being that leads to us, whatever ultimately we have, which we don't technically have anything. Everything is impermanent and ultimately uh, we need to let go of, but, but everything that materializes, manifests, we find ourselves surrounded by is as a result of who we're being in the world. And I don't know much, but I know that when we're being in our imagination, when we're being in our joy, when we're being in a listening, an an internal listening, an internal following that GPS, that that head, heart, and gut, we're, we're guided by providence. You know, it's like when you, that, that statement, you know, when you, when you declare and you finally commit and you take that first step, providence in the universe moves with you, moves through you. And so my prayer, if you will, is that we, we, we come back into balance, that like that ritual I had the great honor to observe, to study, to, to, to be in the listening around. We seek a world where we see each other and our interdependence. And as Ramdas says, we're all just walking each other home. That we take that step to courageously live our journey 
and to hold the hands of others who may have lost their way or, or need a reminder of where that, that next right step might be. And I think in that, that journey, the muse, providence, it guides us. It shows us the next step. And I know it's scary uh, to take those steps into the courageous unknown, but I also know that that's what living is, as far as I can tell. And I'm still figuring it out, but if I've learned anything, it's, it's that there's great gifts on the other side of brave action. And the more we can listen and follow that, that inner GPS in a way that harmonizes with those songs that are meant for us, the more beautiful that symphony becomes. And so my prayer is for your song, my friends. My prayer is that uh, you sing beautifully. And that together, our song lifts the collective. And I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for you being a part of this growing community. And it's truly an honor to get to be a vessel and to sit with and share some of these incredible insights. And I'm committed to keep going. So I hope you'll stick around. And I just want to end by expressing my my gratitude. I am warmed by your fire. And my hope is that we can light many torches and move through the unknown together and help walk each other home.